0: Dragon Ball Super Dope. If you're into Dragon Ball Super, you fucking know what to do, man. Listen to Dragon Ball Super Dope. Uh, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. That's a thing. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating uh, and a review. Helps so other people find the show. Also, that'd be super fucking dope. Zoom it up. Got a lot of shit to talk about today. Let's fly high. Had a weird fucking weekend, dude. So let's talk about shit, cuz I'm crazy. Woo! Welcome into Dragon Ball Super Dope. Super dub episode 67 with new hope, farewell trunks. So, we have a lot to talk about. I've been kind of procrastinating on doing this episode. Uh, and it's the reasons aren't Dragon Ball related, even. So, as weird as that is, um, that's that's kind of I'm, I'm not in a very Dragon Ball related space today, but I think hopefully talking about 67 will, um, Helped me get my mind off things. So, weird weekend. Friday, hung out with my buddy Scott, my buddy Jay. And uh, we got to talking about the Nerdist podcast and how they'd recently done an interview with um, Ralph Macchio and Billy Zapka uh, for the new Covert Kai uh, YouTube series on YouTube Red. So, we're talking about it and my buddy Jay's like, yeah, man, the first two episodes are up for free. I watched them the other day. They were fucking amazing. Not amazing enough for him to get a YouTube Red subscription, but enough to give it super high praise. So we're like, fuck it, we're hanging out. Uh, we throw on the first couple episodes. It's awesome. Next thing you know, boom, I've got a fucking YouTube Red subscription. So we watched watch about six episodes of that, and it's awesome. Uh, if you haven't watched Cobra Kai on YouTube yet and you're a fan of the original Karate Kid movies, do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's phenomenally written. I'm going to talk more about that. In the middle of the episode, basically, what my thoughts are on that. So, if you're interested, we'll do the Dragon Ball review first. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because the the whole root of us talking about it was some of the recent interviews that we'd be listening to. Because me and my, well, at least me and a handful of my friends, we we really like podcasts. Like we do, we make podcasts, so we listen to a lot of podcasts. Nerdist is one of them. Now called ID10T. Now called Shit the Bed because I woke up on Saturday morning and some uh, read some shit about Hardwick on Twitter that uh, kind of has had me feeling bummed all weekend, all shitty, all weekend. Um, so maybe I'll talk about that at the end. Let's just really hope that I, I get a little bit more drilled down on Dragon Ball and Cobra Kai and I won't want to talk about Hardwick at the end because I have a lot of fucking thoughts about it and it's probably not... a a good idea to discuss it, but, oh, man. (sighs) Episode 67. With new hope. Farewell, Trunks. So, we're coming in off of last week's episode where Trunks just stuck Samasu with this huge Genki Dama spirit sword and, uh, pulled up and sliced the dude in half. Ta-da! No longer immortal. He didn't get cut in half. And... We pick up off of that this weekend. it's like, nope, actually, dude's still immortal. He's cut in half, laughing and shit, being evil. What'd you think that was going to do, Trunksu? You think that was going to kill me? I'm immortal, you dumb son of a bitch. And he's laughing, he's cackling. And then, poof. Apparently, the spirit bomb energy sword, spirit bomb sword energy then explodes. And Zamasu's body is reduced to nothing. Both halves gone. All we are is wind. So my is a And everything seems great. Trunks looks down at the hilt of his sword. He's like, man, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I feel like it's because of everybody's hope and faith in me and them lending me their energy. albeit unknowingly or unintentionally. they, force their good fucking energy to to Trunks and the hilt of this sword to make the huge spirit blade to chop some moss you would have okay Um, Goku even comes over and he's like hey Trunks what the fuck's up with your sword man Uh, it was like a spirit bomb that was cool the writers knew that this was so much of an ass pull that they had Goku make a joke on how much of an ass pull it was Oh, man, your sword was a spirit bomb for a minute there. <laughs> At least the writers aren't lacking self-awareness. But then, suddenly in the sky, Zamasu, his face, it's the clouds, it's the atmosphere. Zamasu's face just everywhere, laughing his dick off. Oh, <laughs> Okay, I get it. He's immortal. So the fact that his body was just, you know, obliterated by this mysterious Genkidama spirit sword out of nowhere... His his immortality's gotta go somewhere, right? Because he was blown to smithereens. He's like absorbed by the atmosphere. And poof. Zamasu faces all over the atmosphere. All over the fucking sky. All over the goddamn planet. Zamasu envelops the planet. And then there's an evil fucking Zamasu face on the planet. That's how evil Zamasu is. He turned a planet into an evil ass smiley face of himself. That's how bad. That's how immortal he is. What really thinks about it is, honestly, seeing as you just made me watch Trunks suddenly slice this immortal God in half and then have him explode and then have that moment of, of levity where it's like, oh, it was a spirit bomb. <laughs> you should have just stopped it right there. I'd have been fine with that. I wouldn't have been fine with it, but I, I would have felt a lot better about that and been like, oh, well, yeah, it's a kid show, Cal. Shut the fuck up. But. No, you guys had to take it one step further. So he envelops the atmosphere whatever. Goku, Vegeta, Trunks they're like, "Ah, piss. We got to fight this guy. We're going to fucking fight the sky. We're going to try to kill the we're going to try to kill the air. We're going to try to kill the sky." So Goku and Vegeta can't go Super Saiyan Blue. They burn up way too much of their energy doing the final Kamehameha as Vegeta. So they can't even go Super Saiyan Blue. But fuck it anyway, right? We're going for it. Goku fires up a Kamehameha, Trunks with the Gallic Gun and Vegeta with a final flash, they just randomly try to shoot the sky. And and that's when you get that quick shot of Zamasu's, you know, spirit enveloping the planet and that evil fucking goofy face. And laser beams start pouring down from the fucking sky. Laser beam rain, motherfucker. And they're throwing up their barriers. They're just trying to, you know, survive this onslaught from the fucking planet around them. And that's when you start seeing shots. Android 8. Aider. Three appearances in the stretch of like three episodes. Why do we see him this time? Because the motherfucker just got obliterated and he's dead. Kami House, Kami House gets blown the fuck up. Kamehouse House gets blown the fuck up. Everything gets blown the fuck up, except for the barrier that Goku, Vegeta, and Trunks have made around them. Gowasu and Kyle Shin. It gets to the point where Zamasu does so much destruction that he actually rips a hole back to the past into the present timeline where Beerus and Wiz see it and they're like ah fuck that's some sinister shit going on there what the fuck's happening nothing is left in the future except this a little piece of rock that they just defended with the barrier Zamasu killed literally everything oh yeah that's right My Bulma they're there with them too all the survivors and shit, they're all fucking dead. Maya loses her shit. She cries. She has a real emotional moment. She starts shooting into the fucking void. I got a shotgun. It's worked before. I'm going to shoot the sky. Y'all motherfuckers are dead. No, it's all in vain. Duh. That's when Goku suddenly like, man, if only I had a sensu beam. If I had a sensor beam right now, I would heal up and I would attack the fuck out of the sky. The void. The space. The nothing. God has developed the planet. But if I had a sense being, would be I fight this motherfucker right now. Good old Goku. But nope. He forgot. He forgot about the Xeno button. Now, I remember watching this and being like, well, at least he's got the Xeno button, I guess. I, throughout the whole arc. Like I remember when he got it and he was like, Well, if worse comes to worse, you know, he can just call Xeno up and be like, Xeno, this dude's beating me up. Which is kind of what's already been happening in Dragon Ball Super to this point, anyway, right? You got Beerus, you got Whis. Beerus ultimately trains Goku You know, in that first fight that they have, but he loses and he's at the mercy of Beerus. Frieza does blow up the fucking planet Earth and Whis uses the Temporal Rewind to undo. So they've already gotten pretty used to having the gods as a failsafe in case things don't go well. So them giving him a Xeno button wasn't a surprise to me in the first place and the fact that he ultimately had to use it to get out of this big thing this big fuckery at the end i was like dude just reset it just get rid of it and thank god that's what they did now i do have some problems with the whole xeno thing in that should it have worked he says it like i wonder if this will summon the xeno from this timeline and it does xeno shows up who the fuck is this guy who are you goku did you do this no it was that big green not green but like black atmospheric motherfucker Yelling and laughing and being annoying, you're right. I should erase that dude. And then he does. He doesn't know who Goku is. All right. I just don't like the idea that Zeno isn't aware that Zamasu has done all of this in the present time. And that's one kind of plot hole to, I guess, the Trunks arc as a whole. If Zeno had found out that Zamasu was doing all this crazy shit, he would have been like, hey, dickhead, beat it. I make the decisions around here, not you. But no, we never have to hear of Zeno knowing, acknowledging, and trying to do something about what Zamasu has done to this part of the timeline. All right, that's one big plot hole. Secondly, I would imagine that Zeno exists out of time. Like, there's one Zeno and one Zeno only. You can't hop in a time machine. Go forward five years, grab Zeno from then. Go forward in another five years, and then grab the Zeno from then, and then do it again, so on and so forth, until you have like a fucking band of Zenos backing you up on stage. You can't. I don't like that idea. Zeno is one being. He can. He could probably in my in my head here. You know, Zeno would be able to travel through time at his fucking free will. The gods do talk about how it's possible, but how it's a huge insult to. You know, the balance of the universe and how their power is structured. But Zeno, like, he literally snaps his fingers and people are gone. Boop! (laughs) You would think that that power, that level of God, would exist out of time. So I don't like that part of it. That doesn't make much sense to me. And that's part of the reason as to why I have a tough time with the end of this arc. I do agree at the end, there's nothing else to do but blow it up and restart, but... Uh, just to have the two Xenos thing is is really what that is. I mean, I thought the two Xenos thing would play a, a role in the tournament of power. Ultimately, it doesn't. But ah, uh, it's just frustrating to me, man. Like it, you could have you could have done it in a way where you still have just the one Zeno. You know, he is the all-knowing, all knowing, all alt. He is the ultimate, you know, god, whatever being in. But then you wouldn't really have a story now, would you? I don't know. I They they should have done something better with the end of this arc. It gets to such a point of fuckery where they have no choice but to completely abort. And that's what the Xeno button was designed to do all along. As Xeno, you know, it goes to erase the universe after Goku basically gets some to agree. Yeah, this place blows. You better erase it. He's like, yeah, no, I will. He, All of existence, go away. That's, that's basically all Xeno has to do. And... They're like, oh piss, we gotta get the fuck out of here. So they race over to the time machine. They don't even have enough time to actually get into the time machine. So Bulma, my, Trunks, they're all in the time machine. Goku and Vegeta just hang on to the rims of the outside. Gowasu, Kaioshin, they just teleport away. And they have to get back to the present. And Goku and Vegeta hang on to the outside of the time machine. And somehow, it's like... I don't understand how that worked either. Them hanging on to the time machine like that, wouldn't that guarantee that... They don't travel in time. Like if a bug somehow hit the windshield of the time machine and it was like flat against the time machine as it was jumping to the past, would that bug then go back in time too? Fucking Dragon Ball, man. Goofy-ass shit that makes me think about stupid goofier shit. Some cartoon shit because it's literally a cartoon. Once they get back to the present, this is one of the more interesting parts of the episodes to me. They have the conversation about what happened with that future timeline. It's gone, right? And Goku very quickly asks if Trunks can get the time machine, with Bulma, and then Trunks offers to do it, to get the time machine ready to go back to where they just came from. Now, for a second, you're like, wait a minute. Did I understand what this dude just said? Yes. Get the coordinates Goes back to where he just was. And they find Zeno just upside down, suspended in time, I, I guess. I guess suspended in time. And just hanging out. And uh, he's like, hey, what's up? i got somewhere to take you. Hop on in. Slim. And he hops on in. Next shot, you see them going to meet Zeno in the present. It's Whis walking with the Grand Priest into Zeno's chambers. This is when you finally learn that the Grand Priest is, in fact, the father of Whis. And subsequently, the other angels. Very interesting little thing to just kind of slide in there. Does it play a big role in the end? Not fucking really, but I thought it was cool when that happened. So, introduction of the Xenos. Goku's like, hey, what's up? This guy is going to be way more fun to play with because this guy's you. Not your best friends. And they go do karate in the garage. So that's just a real quick little transition to kind of sew up what happens with the second Zeno. They then go back to the present and they have the conversation about, all right, we've created multiple timelines here. Do we have to go travel in time to go clean up the timelines to make sure that Everything's good, and we don't have the possibility of this happening to us again. Like, say there's a Zamasu in a timeline where we missed. So they're having the conversation out loud. Beerus doesn't even realize that when he went back and destroyed Zamasu in that famous fucking Hakai scene, that he, in turn, made an alternate reality. One where Zamasu died, but also one where he continued to live. He doesn't realize that. That's the Zamasu we've been dealing with all along. (laughs) And he somehow didn't realize it. Beerus isn't as smart as he looks, obviously. But Weiss explains to him how it's essentially made a time ring, and how it's it could be possible that you know these other, there could be another Zamasu out there that comes and tries to you know take his revenge on them. So Beerus openly expresses really he he doesn't want them to go clean up the timelines. He's like, nah, fuck off, you know. You guys are hooked on divine help. Like, what do you expect us to do for you here? You guys have literally had the gods bail your asses out three out of three times in each arc, each major arc of this series so far. Cut the shit, son Goku and friends. Whis tells them basically the only option for them is now that Zamasu has been destroyed within their future timeline, they can go back to a time before their world was destroyed by Goku Black and Zamasu. And coexist with other versions of themselves in that timeline. So basically, they can go back to before everything shits the bed. There's already a Trunks and Mai at that point in time. They just have to live in a world where there's two of them. I want to watch that fucking spinoff. At least give me a one-shot special. Give me two Trunkses teaming up. Generally the same age as two Future Trunkses. I got four Future Trunkses on my fucking desk right now, dude. Double future trunks all day. Trunks and Mai ultimately decide, all right, yeah, that's the best course of action. Let's do that. And Beerus absolves trunks of his sins on the way out and says, hey, basically, you know, you're you're cool with us, man. Um, You did what you had to do. You saved the world. We understand that you broke a lot of fucking laws in doing it, but for the greater good. And then you see a quick shot of Gowasu going into the vaults, that big void room with the shelves, and he locks up the time ring, the, the new time ring that was made and kind of has a little inner monologue about how he's sorry he failed Zamasu and how he feels responsible for having picked the wrong apprentice in the first place. And then we go back to Trunks. So now we know that that time ring that was made that Beerus just referenced and Whis just referenced educated his ass about is now locked up in Wikawasu in Universe uh, 10. So Trunks hops in that time machine. He's like, all right, peace out, y'all. And then Vegeta shows up. Man, do I love a quality Vegeta entrance when you don't even realize that he's not in the scene. And then you're like, hey, where's Vegeta? And then boom, there he is. That's what Vegeta excels at. He's like, I don't know what it is, but something seems off about this scene. Why aren't I enjoying this scene more? And then you're like, hey, wait, where's Vegeta at? And then it's like, boom, there he is. It's fucking perfect. He hops in and he's like, Drunks is like, oh, you made it. And Vegeta's like, Waka! and just charges at him with this huge punch and Trunks blocks it and they have that cool little you know that smile and it, it, a lot of cool Vegeta moments throughout Super that's definitely one of the nicer ones for sure and uh, really you know reconfirms what his character shows throughout this arc in that you see Vegeta fully embrace the role of, not only like, you've seen him embrace the role of of little kid Trunks, for sure, early in Super. But now that Future Trunks is back, it's not like, oh yeah, you're my son from the future, you fucking weirdo from the future. It's like, that's my son. He doesn't treat him as, he he doesn't treat him as just another Z fighter that he doesn't particularly give a shit about. He treats him like a son, full on in this arc. And in that one, you know the fact that he showed up, Awesome. The fact that he doesn't want to get all mushy and you know throws a punch at his son because he knows his son's gonna catch it and he smiles with pride. Cool fucking moment. I love me some Vegeta, love me some future trunks. So they hop in the time machine, poof, they're out of there. Trunks truck trunks trunks cries a little bit. I cried a little bit. Let's be real. Dub, sub, both. Cried. It's a beautiful performance. Eric Fail, vale, you fucking hit it out of the park, homie. Beautiful performance. And then because I'm not already teary-eyed enough, they had to throw one more bone my way. Looking out the window, he's like, Piccolo? And he's like, yo, Gohan? And Gohan and Piccolo, because apparently they're off hanging out, babysitting kids, training in a field. Who knows what the fuck they're up to today? They're like, oh shit, that's right, Trunks is leaving. We gotta go, we gotta go say bye. They fly real quick. Gohan's out of breath, because he's weak AF. And uh, you know, you have all those cool moments of, of closure to an extent for for future trunks who you know he came back during the cell games and in the android saga and he saw little gohan and he's like i can't believe my master grew up you know from this little kid and then he sees him defeat cell and he's like actually yeah no i understand how that's my master now and then he comes back and sees a full grown adult gohan with a wife and a kid and a job is a scholar a job i don't know who the fuck pays scholars schools universities maybe museums doesn't matter who the fuck pays scholars is okay I don't give that much of a shit I kind of do though I'm curious whatever he's got a Gohan who's much more in line with what his master used to look like granted this Gohan's got a slightly different hairstyle and two arms so <laughs> too, ar- too soon man my bad uh, Gohan I'm sorry buddy um Gets that cool moment of closure before he goes back. So that's that's the cap on the future trunks arc. You know, and he, he has the nice line that sums it all up in the dub. It goes, Hope was the right choice, and it always will be. The end of that inner monologue is fucking beautiful. Eric Failure killed it on the dub performance today. Funimation also from a sub-to-dub comparison. I realize I haven't been doing that as much in depth. Sub-dub comparisons. They're almost out the window. Funimation is at an all-time high in terms of what they're doing for Dragon Ball. Um, Night and fucking day from, you know, late 90s. So, um, as much of a sub-snob as I am, Funimation is doing a good job in making me look like a dick. So, um, figured I would just say it out loud and uh, let all the people out there say, I told you so. (laughs) Falconer, though. I'll never fucking agree with you guys on Falconer. How about that? Hate that motherfucker. That's pretty much all we've got for the Dragon Ball portion today. Unfortunately, no real new news. New news. No real news on anything else in terms of the movie or Dragon Ball Heroes. Super Dragon Ball Hero. So, I did watch Cobra Kai this week. So, spoiler alert. If you plan on getting a fucking YouTube Red subscription, like I somehow did, because I was drinking. So, I was like, oh, fuck it, $10 a month is $10 a month. What's the big deal? I'll get to watch all of Cobra Kai right now. Immediate gratification. (sighs) I'm going to have to cancel that now. (laughs) I still haven't canceled that fucking Funimation uh, account. Uh, They're going to do that. So anyway, Cobra Kai, if you're a fan of the original Karate Kid, it's fucking amazing. focuses on Johnny Lawrence, obviously. The fucking show is called Cobra Kai. So You get to see the other side of the coin. You get to see the villain from the Karate Kid movies and what ultimately happened to him and how much of a fucking loser he grows up to be. And then how Daniel LaRusso is a winner and is on top of the fucking world as a car dealership owner who kicks the competition. Ha ha ha. Not only do you get to see that and it's a little bit more gray. They really lean in heavy to the fact that Daniel LaRusso, while yes, he is the protagonist of the Karate Kid movies, he's kind of a douche. Like, yeah, he wins all the fights. He gets beat up here and there by some fucking Cobra Kai's in the first movie. But Daniel LaRusso is kind of a douche. I say that because, yeah, the main focus is on Johnny, but Daniel LaRusso, Ralph Macchio does a great job kind of you know, showing what made Daniel LaRusso kind of a dude. Like he always says a little bit more than he has to say. Like sometimes he just can't shut his fucking mouth. And that's often what got Daniel in trouble in the fucking early movies or early parts of the movies. There's also just a lot of comparisons to Johnny Lawrence as the, you know, teacher and, you know, some parallels that he draws to Mr. Miyagi. Although they travel two completely different paths and getting to, you know, what they ultimately adopt as their principles as teachers. Um, And I'm kind of glad they did that, because while Mr. Miyagi, you know, being the Japanese guy from Okinawa who, you know, hasn't quite um, gotten completely used to American culture in the original movies, Johnny Lawrence is that dude in 2018 who hasn't gotten used to the idea of 2018. He's fucking making fun of little kids for cleft palate and being fat, and he doesn't understand how technology really works. Um, You know, it's a different kind of, I don't want to say ignorance, but like, it's a different kind of fish out of water thing. And... He has to overcome to help this person that you know Daniel San in the fucking early in the in the movies, and then this kid Miguel who's the main student for Cobra Kai. It's um, how they have to ultimately learn to work with those kids. Is how they ultimately have to adapt their teaching styles to get the best out of their students is what's really interesting from like a Johnny Lawrence and a, and a Miyagi comparison. Not the most obvious comparison within the show, but man, is it there. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Miyagi shows up in the first Karate Kid movie and kicks the shit out of like five 16 year old kids. 15, 14, 14, 15 year old kids. Mr. Miyagi straight up assaults the shit out of them because they're fucking with Daniel San. What does Johnny Lawrence do when a group of kids tries to beat up Miguel? Outside the convenience store, kicks the shit out of some 15-year-old kids with no remorse. Very fun show. If you haven't watched it and you're a fan of the Karate Kid, you gotta go do it. They've obviously left the door open. It, it, it's There's gonna be a season two. I'm pretty sure it's probably already in production. And the cliffhanger they give you at the very, very end of that last episode, I won't say it. I've already discussed some light spoilers, but... Nothing major or central to the story. Um, the big cliffhanger at the end, man. It's like, oh, motherfucker. How is this going to fit in? How is this going to affect you know everything going forward? I thought we just... I thought that just wrapped up nicely. Happy story, happy ending. Nope. This motherfucker. <sighs> so definitely go watch it if you're into Karate Kid. I'm, I'm going to have to watch it through again. Uh, we, we binge watched most of them Friday night. I finished it up Saturday morning. And uh, it was amazing, but I I figure if I got the if I paid the ten bucks, man, I may as well get some mileage out of it and rewatch it. I don't know if there's any other quality YouTube red content out there, but I don't know how far I'll go digging for it either. (laughs) Uh, The only reason I had been really tempted or, or really. The reason I'd wanted to watch that in the first place was because me and my friends had been talking about a recent episode of ID10T podcast, Chris Hardwick's uh, podcast, where he sat down with Billy Zapka and Ralph Macchio and uh, talked about, you know, the season of Cobra Kai. And and that conversation led me to talking to my buddies about it. And next thing you know, I've got a fucking YouTube Red subscription. So I woke up Saturday morning and saw all that stuff before I watched the rest of Cobra Kai. (laughs) And... If you don't know what I'm talking about, basically, Chris Hardwick, he's the host of Talking Dead. You probably know him as. That's like his biggest TV show. But I do podcasts. I listen to podcasts. He's got a great podcast. Uh, Him, Jonah Ray, Matt Myra, uh, the Nerdist podcast, uh, recently rebranded as the ID10T podcast, um, is one of my favorites for sure. And I listen to backlog episodes of that podcast on a regular basis with people that, whatever, from whatever forms of entertainment I like, oh, this actor or this writer from this TV show or the director of this movie, I'll go back and listen to that shit uh, with Hardwick and, you know, quite a bit. So I spent a lot of time with the dude in my head. Uh, don't really watch his TV shows so much. So I, I don't. I stopped watching Walking Dead and I was never really a huge fan of Talking Dead in the first place. So the podcast though, I feel like, um, to me anyway, podcasting should be, it is for me um it's a pretty transparent medium this is about as raw as it gets it's just me talking to you guys i'm sitting in a room just talking to you about i think this is how i'm trying to like work it out in my brain so my point is the transparency of a podcaster is important when trying to connect with the audience and you know this audience here i feel like you guys probably feel like you know me and i feel like i know several of you the ones that that talk to me on a regular basis um, I feel like I knew Hardwick. Obviously, I don't. But the image that he chose to project was one that I liked. Um, You know, reformed, alcoholic, fucking dope 90s TV talent who got his life together, got sober, embraced this nerd quality about him, and turned it into a nerd empire. I like that story, not to mention he's a funny fucking stand up and, you know, great interviewer and definitely a little narcissistic. You can totally tell that. And I feel like he's pretty open about, you know, a lot of his mental um, ish, um, which I also respect, you know, people who can be transparent about that stuff or seemingly transparent. Um, That's important to me as a podcast listener. I have to connect with. The host on that level to be able to go back and listen to dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of of podcast episodes of that person's show. So Hardwick had some accusations come out against him from an ex-girlfriend, Chloe Dykstra, about how he was emotionally abusive and sexually assaulted her throughout the duration of their three year relationship. It hurts to hear that about somebody you feel like, you know, and you like and respect. So I was glued to Twitter all all Saturday morning, just reading people's takes and waiting to see if any of the any of his close friends, you know, Joan Ray, Matt Myra, Janet Varney, uh, Camille and Emily, any of those people would come out and make a statement about this. And um None of them did. They've all been radio silent pretty much. Janet Varney chimed in and said, um, you know, I just got off from shooting all day, and I have yet to really form an opinion or whatever. Just give me some time to process. Understandable. Um, Janet Varney, by the way, also an ex-girlfriend of Chris Hardwick for several years. So it's just... And then Hardwick came out with a response to the accusations and sounded like a complete fucking douchebag. What a fucking idiot. I don't know who wrote that fucking response for him, but effectively, he, he in this response, he goes on to... Like, you have to take accusations like this seriously every fucking time. The, the victims deserve the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. And then when you... But then when you come out with a with a statement that poorly crafted, that effectively goes on to blame the fucking victim here. He basically said, yeah, we dated. We had a pretty shitty relationship. We yelled and screamed a lot. Um, I never sexually assaulted her. Uh, You know, she cheated on me, and then I broke up with her, and then she wanted me back and wanted to make me uh, her husband and, you know, the father of her children, and I said no. He goes on to blame her and be like, I never did that, and even – it's almost like even if I did – Fuck her because she did this crazy shit anyway. (laughs) Talk about the wrong fucking message. Now, in addition to the sexual uh, assault allegations, she also goes on to say that he effectively blacklisted her from the entertainment community. So the people that she was doing business with. Now, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to take away from Chloe Dykstra, and I'm really fucking not. But Chloe Dykstra, in her claim to fame, is she's a professional cosplayer. And we talk about cosplay on the show occasionally, and we have a lot of respect for the cosplayers who put a lot of time, effort, and dedication into it. She's a professional cosplayer. She met Hardwick at a con, I don't know, 2011 maybe. I, I never knew anything about this girl until this broke. Um, and I, I kind of just wanted to know, like, you know, I think because I like Hardwick a lot, I kind of wanted to understand more about the situation and be like, what did I miss here? Is he really this much of a, of a narcissistic, control freak douchebag? He really could be. And that's something I've been wondering all week. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Where I was potentially, probably like I said, Hardwick doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt here. If if this is the accusation he's throwing around, that's serious stuff. How could you be so wrong about somebody? You know, granted, it's the it he's selling a manufactured product, the image that he chooses to project is the product that he sells. And that's how he gets hosting gigs, and that's why people, you know, come on his podcast and he's charismatic and you know, nerdy to an extent. To an extent he's pretty fucking nerdy, but how could I have been duped by this person? So they met at a con. She's a professional cosplayer. They start to date. They date for like three, three and a half years. After that, she doesn't get any more work because she accuses Hardwick and an ex-girlfriend of Hardwick who I don't, is unnamed because she she went and wrote this whole thing on ma- uh, fucking medium.com um, and didn't name anybody. Didn't name Hardwick, but it wasn't really hard to piece together that it was him. But that Hardwick and a female, uh, Associate at Nerdist or an ex-girlfriend or something effectively blackballed her from the industry, called around to places she worked with and said, hey, they split. If you hire her, we're not doing business with you anymore. That's the second part of this accusation where it's like, fuck, dude, why? Like, It's probably true. It's probably true. But when you look at the girl's IMDb page, it wasn't like she was doing a ton of work in the first place. And to me, and I don't know this. This is me talking out of school. I bet you a lot of the work that she did get based on like what Hardwick was doing at the time with trying to start the online content part of Nerdist and the kind of work that she was doing, it, it probably coincided and went hand in hand. My point is I think Hardwick helped her get work. Um, and once they split, she probably wouldn't have gotten that work anyway just because she wasn't around in that general sphere of influence. But if Hardwick in this you know ex, ex-girlfriend who called around and said, if you work with her, we're not going to work with you, if that really is the case. It's like, what a fucking douche, dude. This was probably going to happen to her anyway. You couldn't have just let that shit lie and and let the pieces fall where they may have. You had to go so far as to probably, you know, again, control the situation because Hardwick is big into control. And that's a big driving force. And what was able to let him get sober in the first place is his need for control. And just to watch the dudes climb to power, you know, as a, a, you know, a mid-level podcaster who... You know, gets these hosting gigs and he's super successful with, you know, blow up and grow nerdist and become such a powerhouse in the nerd industry, synonymous with our fucking nerd culture. And he's a douche. I mean, you need that control, that want, that thirst, that hunger for power to be able to ascend to the ranks that he did. That's the only way that I can really think about it. Chloe Dykstra deserves the benefit of the doubt. I mean, if she's accused Hardwick of this, there's there's a reason for it. It's just tough for me to fucking think about right now and it's shitty and um you know I got into making podcasts uh about a year ago after being a huge podcast fan for you know several years and guys like Hardwick guys like Marin guys like Rogan they were uh kind of a motivating factor for me to kind of you know get off my ass and make my own little thing and yeah, it's just shitty to fucking think that, you know, the person that you really liked and respected and looked up to is actually just a complete fucking dumpster fire of a person, controlling manipulative piece of shit. Dude's dude's career is probably probably not going to uh bounce back from this. Um already had his shows pulled from AMC, already uh, has been pulled from San Diego Comic-Con panels, the the female Doctor Who panel he already got from, so um Chloe Dykstra did go on to say that she does have evidence, like video and audio evidence of her and Chris, you know, arguing or whatever, or, or, you know, him being emotionally abusive to her. It almost sounds like I'm saying proof or nothing, but I kind of want to hear it. I I don't want to hear it, but like, I would feel better if I did hear it just to be like, yeah, no, this guy is the guy that I now think that he is instead of me wondering, like, because that's really what my struggle has been this weekend. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Kyle? that you were fooled by this guy who and by the way like in the court of public opinion like th- this dude is fucking dead whether this girl has proof or not whether that proof ever comes out this dude is dead regardless his career is never going to bounce back from this at least not to the fucking heights that it had been I mean I'm sure he could you know potentially go back and be a stand up at some point after this you know is kind of out of the public consciousness but He ain't gonna be on TV anytime soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we've heard our last episode of the ID10T podcast. Um, But you know, he might be able to get back on the road as a stand-up at some point. Dude's career is dead in the court of public opinion. He is, you know, um, he is a humongous piece of shit. But I kind of want to hear the proof because my whole thing this week has been, or this weekend, has me being like, how did this guy fool me? And everyone on Twitter is like, oh, I knew there was something wrong with him. Oh, he seems skeevy. He seems slimy. And I'm like, shit, I I didn't really get that. I, I never got that vibe. And I feel like I'm a pretty decent judge of character at times. Most of the time I feel like I pick up on people's vibes and I'm able to be like, oh, yeah, good person. Oh, yeah, kind of a piece of shit. Never got that with Hardwick. Again, I understand that he's in the entertainment business and selling himself and his image and his his voice effectively as a product that's his whole thing he sells his voice quite fucking literally um and it's probably a very carefully crafted image that he's put together over the years uh again because probably a control freak i just uh, it's like what the fuck is wrong with me where i I couldn't pick up on that you know so i almost want to hear the sound to be like all right no dude it's real it's real. And you were just duped. And this guy is a fucking uh, master manipulator. And, you know, you didn't know this dude like you felt you did. Obviously, I've never met Hardwick, but, you know, a few hundred hours of somebody in your fucking head, you feel like you have an understanding of who the person is. So, with that, I say if the evidence did come out, I wouldn't hate it. It would be good for me personally. But, um, Chloe sure that's entirely up to you. Um, I don't think she needs to. Uh, put that out there to be able to be like, no, I'm not lying. The fact that there are quite a few people who are just quick to the the aid of, of Hardwick, the defense of Hardwick to be like, she's a fucking liar. She's a fucking liar. There's no proof. She shouldn't have to put that out to be believed. That you shouldn't. You shouldn't. That shouldn't be the fucking standard. We shouldn't have to um, further subject her to the humiliation and pain that she must be, you know, going through and, and trying to heal from, we shouldn't have to subject her to to release that evidence just to be like, see my what I've said is valid and I'm not a liar. Let's not go down that road. But for me personally, if I heard it, at least I would be like, no, all right, yeah, Hardwick is a complete total douche. I just I don't I don't think the evidence will come out, and it shouldn't have to uh, for people to be able to believe what she said. But I'm a fucking uh, this is a tough one, dude. This is a tough one. Um, I've talked entirely too much um, about this. I didn't intend to talk this much about it at all. It's going to be a quick little throwaway comment. But we live in a world where it's like you can't just – everybody has a voice on the internet and people know how to use it effectively to make sure that people who are in positions of power – are held in, are kept in check effectively, you know, save for the president right now. But, you know, in terms of celebrities and the Me Too movement and the cracking down of predators in Hollywood, it's important for people to continue to effectively communicate and share their stories and use their voices to keep people in power in check. These abuses of power can't go unchecked. Has it taken down people that I've liked? Yeah. Louis C.K. That one hurt. Louis C.K. is one of my favorite comedians. And to know that sometimes he just whips his dick out and makes girls watch him jerk off Makes me say, oh man What the fuck is wrong with me that I thought that I identified with this person? Aziz Ansari uh, One of my favorite characters on Parks and Rec Tom Haberford, Master of None One of the best Netflix comedies, original comedies probably ever Um, You know, to hear that he's kind of a douche and expects sex on the first date from girls that he just picked up that that makes me sad too. Like, why do I identify with this person's comedy? What's the matter with me? We've, I think we've talked about it at a certain point in the podcast. It's like you need to be able to separate the person from the art that they make. Which I mean, is Hardwick's shit really art? Let's let's be. A podcast's art. I think they're online radio shows. I don't know if they're fucking art, but I. Then in the case of Louis and Aziz, it was like you know their abuses of power effectively undid them. You know, and it it's important that, you know, the people in power understand that this isn't something that you can just, these aren't things that you can just sweep under the rug anymore. Um, and the strive uh, uh, for, you know, more equality in 2018, it's just not something that you can do. So, cut the fucking shit out, make your fucking art, quit being creeps, put your fucking dick away, and stop this shit, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. The Me Too movement, while it is super fucking important, has a... Uh, Made me reconsider a lot of things, not only about you know the people that I identify with, but myself. So um, it's, it's important that we continue to have this kind of dialogue, I feel. I think I just talked about it way more than I ever intended to. Um, and I think I'm just kind of trying to work through feeling. I don't fucking know what I'm trying to work through, dude. I know that it's an important time that we live in. Uh, sit up, take notes, correct your fucking behavior, and just make your fucking art without throwing your dick around. How fucking hard is that? Oh, anyway, Dragon Ball Super Dope. <laughs> Did you remember that this is a podcast about Dragon Ball? Because I certainly fucking didn't. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram DB Super Dope, Twitter DB Super Dope, the number one, uh, Facebook Dragon Ball Super Dope. We just hit over three thousand uh, followers likes. Or we're approaching like thirty five hundred or whatever. So go like the page. Um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, all over the motherfucking world. Super Dope. No, nah, nah.